Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and today's edition of the show could be entitled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? It's your dog. By which I mean my guests today, Karen Allenson and Catherine and Kevin Salazny, will be discussing various aspects of making their own dog food. For many people, feeding their dogs can pose significant challenges, whether the dog has food allergies or sensitivities, or just because they're uneasy about giving their pooch processed food, perhaps because they don't eat processed food themselves. Plus, periodically, there are recalls of commercial dog food when they're found to be contaminated or otherwise unsafe. You tend not to experience recalls if you're preparing the dog food in your own kitchen. So I'll talk with Allenson, who lives in Toronto, and the Salazny's residents of Jupiter Farms, about the realm of making their own dog food. Full disclosure, Allenson is my wife's cousin, while the Salazny's son and our son were best friends growing up, and we remain friends with all of them. For example, we'll explore the circumstances that prompted them to start making their own dog food, what they were doing for dog food before that, their process for making the food, how often they do it, how much they make in a given session, what differences they've noticed in their dogs since take making their own dog food, how the cost compared to store-bought, whether I recommend others try this with dogs, and so on. So we'll delve into an array of issues about homemade dog food when I speak with Karen Allenson, Catherine Salazny, and Kevin Salazny in just a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A programming note, three weeks from today, October 4th, is the first day of WMNF's Fall Fun Drive, and I'll be raising money that morning right here on Talking Animals on behalf of WNF. As usual, I have a towering fundraising goal for an hour-long show, and the only way to reach that goal is by receiving several early pledges. So if you've enjoyed Talking Animals, found it educational, illuminating, entertaining, or just otherwise helpful, like recent shows featuring Glenn Hatchell and Ask the Trainer, the country's largest donkey rescue we featured recently, plus shark researcher Dr. Catherine McDonald, as well as Dr. Temple Grandin, among many, many others. Please support us today. Head to WMNF.org, look for the programming schedule, find Talking Animals, <coughs> excuse me, click on that page and locate the tip jar, and please donate. Any amount is great, 35 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 more if you can swing it, anything at all is really helpful to get us a, a, a kind of a head start on our fundraising goal. Thank you. Meanwhile, coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Dr. Sandhu, a veterinarian at Companion Pet Hospital in Thanota Sasa, which this Saturday, September 16th at 1 p.m. is offering a special low-cost pet shop clinic. There is no appointment necessary. Visitors can get hardworm test results on the spot, among other details. We'll hear more about this low-cost pet shop clinic from Dr. Sandhu a bit later in today's program. Right now, though, let's talk dog food, homemade dog food with Karen, Catherine, and Kevin. Thanks also to Greg Bowers for technical assistance and to Colin McGar for the idea for today's show. And with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Talking Animals with Karen Allenson, Catherine Salazny, and Kevin Salazny on WMNF. Good morning, everybody. Sorry. Now we'll try that again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, great. Sorry. Of course, I was the guy that screwed it up on my end right off the bat, so that's excellent. So thanks for joining us, you guys, on, on Talking Animals. I think this is a really important topic that could help a lot of people with dogs that hadn't thought about that or just hadn't taken the step forward, and this might help demystify that process quite a bit. So first, maybe we can begin by asking you to describe what your dog life was before you started making your own dog food. Karen, let's start with you. What kinds of food were you giving to your dog or dogs in the in the before times? 
so we were feeding, um, at the time we had two dogs, uh, Jasper and Jake. We were feeding uh, dry kibble. So it was uh, from a company called From, F-R-O-M-M. Um, they have a really good reputation uh, for dog food. And we did that for years and years. With Jake, though, um, he was scratching all the time, itching, rubbing his face into the carpet or the floor, um, scratching his ears. Anyway, he was extremely itchy. So um, one of my friends uh, who lives in Montreal, her vet recommended getting a test done by this company called Five Strands. So basically, um, you send in um, strands of the dog fur, and they analyze it, and they can do all kinds of tests with that. Um, I sent it in and came back that he was allergic to uh, many, many foods. And the most prominent thing he was allergic to was every type of um, meal. So chicken meal, beef meal, lamb meal, whatever. So I don't know if you want me to stop there um, or do you want me to, to go on? Well, it sounds like the results of this said said to you guys, hey, we have to go a different way in feeding Jake. Yeah, yes, for sure. So we, uh, I started looking, so I started looking for another dry kibble, to be honest. And um, every every food, at uh, least available to me in Canada, every every dog food, the first uh, within the first three ingredients is meal. So chicken meal, beef meal, lamb meal, whatever, fish meal. It's it's all in the first ingredients, which means it's of a high concentration. So uh, then I thought, well, maybe we could switch to raw. Um, however, we couldn't agree on that in my house. So we did the next best thing with this cooked. So I... Um, I had got a couple of books um, to to research, and I researched online, and I came up with um, a recipe that uh, we are still making to this day. Now, just for Jake, because Jasper's uh, gone to uh, doggy heaven, mm. and um, uh, Jake is not a hundred percent better, but he's like seventy percent better. It's amazing getting rid of all of that that stuff um, in the food how it's helped his coat and um, his itching. So it's been really, really beneficial. Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, again, once you saw the results that anything meal-related was going to be a problem, clearing that out of whatever would happen next for his meals was going to make a gigantic difference right off the bat, regardless of how you refine the recipe. So maybe we'll come back to the specific recipe at some point. But let's ask Catherine and Kevin a little bit about your own parallel experiences. So we have two Mexican hairless, Paco and Pippin, and we have a similar story. Paco was always a grazer. He didn't really like to eat. We were feeding him origin food, another high quality, um, super expensive food. And he just didn't eat a lot. When Pippin came along, um, Paco's now 11, Pippin is three. I had to change some food and try to encourage Paco to eat because Pippin would shovel anything in and Paco wouldn't have food. So we ended up switching to science diet um, at the vet's recommendation because she felt the origin was probably too much um, protein. So we switched to science diet and we had to add toppers to Paco. It was a dry kibble. Pippin ate it without a problem. 
Paco, we had to add either canned food or toppers to try to get him to eat. And I was constantly coaxing him to eat. Mm. He mm. would not eat. They normally eat twice a day. He would eat only once a day, probably three or four times a week. And his stomach was constantly gurgling. He was constantly, almost daily, throwing up bile. Um, so the vet suggested that we do a uh, blood test for allergy testing. He came back allergic to all grains, rices, um, all flowers, all grains, fish. Um, wow. That was about it for food. So we um, had started to kind of boil some chicken when he wouldn't eat. Once he'd missed two meals, he's a little dog. I had to do something. So we would boil chicken and rice, not knowing he was allergic. <laughs> yeah, thought, thought you were doing a nice thing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we would boil the chicken and he would eat it. And it's funny because he would nose around and leave the rice and just eat the chicken. Um, so once we found out there was allergies, the vet gave us prescription allergy food for him and he would not eat it. He hated it. Mm. Um, so we ended up doing this and he is 11 and he acts like he's two now. Yeah. He, he used to have to be coaxed to, to eat. And now he jumps up and down and cries while he knows I'm heating up his food. Wow. Well, because it sounds like, yeah, early on before you knew what you later learned, that he just wasn't much of an eater and just wasn't, you know, interested in meals generally, which uh, is certainly not dog-like uh, on, on the whole. So, yeah. but you guys, at the, of course, at that point, you didn't have any idea why. Yeah, I just thought he was a, a grazer and not much of an eater. Now I feel bad that he hated his food for years. Yeah, we didn't know it. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so what, what kind of, what kind of, once you got those sort of results, uh, this for either sets of, uh, or th among our three guests. is a test of the emergency alert system. And uh, I talked to uh, a friend who was, was cooking for her dog already. Uh, she was uh, doing, sounds like she's doing what, what um, uh, Catherine was doing, like cooking chicken and that kind of thing. I wanted something that would be more, um, that I could batch make. So um, I did find a recipe that um, I can choose either ground beef or chicken or turkey. Uh, he is allergic to fish and most game and uh, most flour. Uh, it's very strange things. But anyway, so I avoided those. I spoke to my vet who at first was um, not in agreement at all, wanted me to put him on the prescription uh, dog food for um, allergies, food allergies or stomach issues. And I said, but I I feel this is... Anyways, we, we discussed and then um, he said that um, he wanted me to get it um, looked at by a canine nutritionist, which I didn't even know existed. 
Um, so I researched and I found a woman in Toronto, a canine nutritionist, and I, I spoke to her. And she said that happens all the time. Most vets do not want you to, to do that. They want you to buy prescription food. So I sent her the recipe and um, also sent her the little supplement uh, stew or whatever that I, I, I put in there. And she confirmed to me that it was um, perfect. It was it was solid. It was very sound. So then my vet said, okay, then let's, let's go for it. So it was a bit of a struggle. Um, but I knew that I was not going to, especially this prescription stuff had tons of ingredients that I knew he was allergic to. So kind of uh, dug my heels in. I'm glad yeah. I did because um, he's uh, doing really, really well. And he's he's five. He acts like he's five months old, but he's a golden retriever. So I guess that's to be expected. Um, but he's very healthy. So all that to say he's very healthy. Yeah. But it does sound like... Um there's actually an email that came in that sort of overlaps this. This was from William in Land Lake saying, unfortunately, many humans and most carnivores like dogs have a difficult time digesting grains and grain products. Why do so many dry dog foods con- continue to use grains? I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure that it's all about profit, which is not unlike, I think we were kind of suggesting, Karen, that the vets that say, hey, get get this prescription food, uh, often, of course, are yes. coincidentally selling the prescription food. And, That's uh, right. <laughs> so there's kind of a vested interest there. So, um, Kevin and Catherine, how about you guys in terms of once you found what the uh, allergy findings were, what what did you do next in terms of researching or figuring out how to proceed? Well, at this point, honestly, I do it. <laughs> 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 um, I was just looking at it more of a balance. Um, so, I just looked at a percentage. Kevin, I, I'm not sure where you are relative to Catherine. We, we're barely hearing you, whereas we were hearing Catherine, I think, fairly clearly. I don't okay, know if you guys I'm are... I'm sorry. I'm moving over. Um, oh, there so, we go. That's perfect. Okay. Thanks. Again, I didn't do a lot of research. I just looked at a balanced diet for the dog. So I looked at percentage, how much percentage of protein versus uh, carbohydrates going into uh, the formula that I make. And uh, I, I basically make the same formula um, in percentages, but I change up vegetables and I change up protein, meaning that they, they may get pork, they could get beef, they could get chicken, they could get turkey, uh, and a variety of vegetables, always with a base of a sweet potato. Um, and uh, they love it. They absolutely love it. They, they, as Catherine had said, they cry when, when we bring the food out. Wow. And the sweet potato, Kevin, is kind of like in lieu of the fact that they're, they're obviously you can't give grains uh, or, or at least to Paco. Is that sort of like a, a substitute in a sense? It is. It is. Uh, it, and uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a filler. And it's, it's, I find that sweet potato is better than uh, a regular potato because of the nutrients that are in the sweet potato, which I think are mm-hmm. better for the dog versus yeah. more calcium in it. There's more magnesium in it. There's more vitamin yeah. C in it. Um, so I prefer to go that route. So um, there was no nothing scientific about how I did it. <laughs> we did talk to the vet, <laughs> just to make it clear. Right. We did talk to the vet. The vet was good with it. She did suggest, she told me I absolutely positively had to add vitamins because there are certain vitamins, yeah, minerals yeah. that 
would be lacking in this. And it was a challenge for us to find vitamins that didn't have either the fish oil or soy or some sort of um, grain or flour, but we were successful. The only one we found, but he does great on it. That's really good. So it sounds like input from the vets has been good up to a point in both cases. And, uh, and then you guys really just uh, also in both cases sort of said, okay, I'm going to run with this on my own with doing my own research or just sort of having my own instinct about how to proceed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that you mentioned, uh, Karen, earlier, than, and maybe Catherine and Kevin, you guys have something along these lines as well. But I'm wondering, were there particular books that swayed you either about uh, dog nutrition, about making your own dog food, anything along those lines as you kind of found yourself traveling this path? Um, yes, I, um, I I read two books, um, just trying to, I can, uh, I don't have them beside me right now, but okay. one of them is called, it's called Feed Your, Your Best Friend. Um, let me just get the title. Just a sec. Feed your best friend better, and it's it's by Rick Woodford, okay. and it's easily available. I just downloaded it, and it's got everything in there. The other person that I I tend to follow is Doctor um, is Judy Morgan. She's a, a a vet, kind of like a holistic vet in the states, mm-hmm. um, and she has a book called Yin and Yang: Nutrition for Dogs, and uh, her book's amazing. Um, so I, I like Kevin and Catherine kind of always make the same kind of stuff. And I, I switch out the protein and the vegetables. Um, and I had to change, I, I chained up the vet, the vegetables, but he's allergic to a lot of stuff. So, um, sweet potato is good. Uh, I just have to make sure that it's not on his list of being allergic to. Sure. Um, but. And Catherine and Kevin, any, any were, there, were there some books that you guys consulted along the way as you were kind of uh, figuring out what, what best to give Paco and then, of course, Pippin later? Uh, I'm, I'm more of a research online. So, okay. you know, I, I just looked at things online. And when I was looking at, you know, making your own food, there was a lot of different things that, that came up. One was like a scientific study that linked the 20% increase in longevity when you're when you're cooking your own food for the your your animals so wow. that was very interesting and you know you've seen different things like improved uh you know skin issues uh by feeding them uh improved digestion um that's you know, a- mobility mobility is better and they say i don't i mean i don't know how true this is but you see it, it you know feeding them a uh, home cooked food is is a, is a natural weight control for the dog. Yeah, I was going to ask about that at some point, but that's great that that came up. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm assuming what you're saying is that um, their weight is is much more manageable or, or, or less than it was in the other f- food days. It is perfect now. Wow. Both of them look really healthy, and, and they, they really, and even the, the, the vet had commented about it. And that 20% increase in longevity, that's a pretty striking statistic. Jeez. Uh, the vet told me with Paco 
Um, she said the other day I had him in for his yearly vaccines and stuff. And she said, I swear someone took Paco and delivered this dog instead. She said his entire attitude, his outlook, everything about him is so much happier, more friendly, more at peace, and just a totally different dog. Wow. Not to mention energetic, how energetic he is for 11. Yeah, it sounds like it's really transformed him. It has. And we do, um, like Karen said, we do back cooking. We bought a separate chest freezer um, in the garage, and it is stocked just with homemade dog food. We travel. Um, so I have people that stay with the dogs, and we just have it stocked up with um, food for, so they're, they're good, and then Kevin doesn't have to cook it every week. Well, with some of the results that Kevin was just citing, I might come over and take a, a container or two out of the freezer and have a bite. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you're always welcome, of course. All right, well, thank you. So uh, let me let folks know that might just be tuning in. My guests are Kevin and Catherine Selazny and Karen Allison, and we're discussing making homemade dog food uh, with Ke Kevin, Ke Kevin, Catherine, and Karen as they all do for their dogs. If you'd like to ask a question about making dog food, some of the virtues which we're already establishing or any other element, please uh, call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So one of our emailers, uh, this may be beyond a question you guys want to tackle, but we can certainly try. It says, my Jack Russell has a rectal prolapse, we tried pumpkin and oatmeal. Nothing seems to help. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, that's beyond my scope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds closer to a veterinary type question, or at least the um, canine nutritionist maybe that that you hunted down, uh, Karen, somebody in that field, because it sounds like it would mm -hmm. take, you know, pretty pretty serious kind of um, expertise yeah, to tackle too, that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so one of our other emailers says, how do you know how to portion out fresh, meaning homemade food, as opposed to can slash kibble? So I don't know how Karen did it. Um, there was a little bit of an experiment for us. Um, I, my dogs were pretty normal weight. Paco was a little underweight because he'd have, you know, stomach issues. Um, so I kind of did it. Karen was probably more scientific. We kind of just figured it out as we went. I started with like a cup and a half for the bigger dog and a cup for the smaller dog. Um, and I just kind of watched them because their weights were pretty normal. I could see very quickly whether they were going to gain or lose. And then I've upped. So Pippin, who's about 50 pounds, now eats two and a half cups twice a day and Paco is like 25 pounds and eats one cup twice a day. They get their vitamins with their morning food. Sounds good. Yeah. It's steady and perfect. Yeah. yeah. We, um, I do the same thing. So um, I did a bit of research <laughs> and uh, found what uh, he should get for his weight. And um, so we make it, like in batches, but then we have like one on the go uh, in the fridge. And so we weigh it out. We just weigh it out and, um, and portion it. Uh, he eats twice a day. So um, that's the way we do it. And you feel good about his, uh, his weight control, as Kevin was pointing out before, about some of the virtues of the way they, uh, 
Uh, uh, well, uh, Goldens, especially after they've been spayed or fixed, tend to put on weight. He gets tons of exercise. He, I know the vet always says he could lose two or three pounds. Uh, he weighs, uh, he weighs 85 pounds. He's a big, a big dog. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, he looks healthy to me. Um, he, he has a bit of a waste. You know how they say you look to see if there's a bit of a waste, but he probably could lose a few pounds. Um, but we, I know that, um, I could feed him less, but I'm feeding him about, um, well, we we do it in grams, but he's getting about uh, 700 grams of food um, a day. So that's really, if I lowered it, I think he'd be looking at me like I was. Yeah, what, what, what did I do wrong? Why am I being uh, punished here? Yeah, <laughs> I got right. you. I got you. So one of our emailers is asking, and so you might help me, Karen, in case I get it wrong, to repeat the names, authors of the two books that you mentioned. So I believe the first one was. Feed Your Best uh, yeah. best Friend Better by Rick Woodford. And the other was The Yin and Yang of Nutrition for, Do- the Yin and Yang Nutrition for Dogs by Dr. Judy Morgan. Is yeah, that correct? that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah, yeah All right. that's exactly it. Great. And let's see, there's another email here that's saying, um, oh, uh, could you please repeat the name of the allergy test using dog hair slash uh, fur oh, analysis? Uh, it's it's an American company. It's called Five Strands, S-T-R-A-N-D-S, like strands of hair. Mm-hmm. So five strands. And they do tests for humans and animals. Great. Okay, so I think we're keeping everybody caught up on the email front. And again, if people do want to call and speak directly with Karen, Catherine, and Kevin, it's 813-239-9663. Um, so let's, let's maybe collectively you guys could sort of walk me through, because it sounds like there's direct parallels, obviously, each step of the process. Let's say like at noon today, thank God you're not probably, but let's say you were making a new batch of dog food for your dogs. So walk me through the beginning and just sort of in broad strokes the, the steps that you proceed from there to to create what's the, a new batch of, of dog food for, for everybody at home there. I'll start. Um, so I will go out and I'll look at different types of proteins. Um, and um, for instance, I went out and I bought a grinder to put onto our KitchenAid. So I could take pork or turkey or chicken or anything like that and grind that into... Boneless. Um, yes, boneless. And grind that into uh, ground meat, obviously. Um, the, mine's very simple. It's third, uh, you know, a third, third, and third. So it's, you know, five pounds when I make it, five pounds of um, sweet potatoes. As that's cooking, when that's getting ready to get done, I throw five pounds of mixed vegetables in. While that's cooking, I have five pounds of meat that's browning. Um, when a vegetable's done, I basically just drain it and take the protein when that's done, put it on top and I mash it up. Um, after I mash it up, I put it in containers. They're, um, plastic containers or, you know, yeah. (laughs) So I put those in containers, uh, and put them into the, uh, freezer right away with ice packs on top and on the bottom. I don't buy anything that's that big. It's only about two inches in height. So the food is able to freeze very quickly. So that's one thing you just have to worry about is 
just like with people, dogs can get, you know, foodborne illnesses. So you have to bring the food down to get into uh, a, a reasonable temperature quickly. So that's the way I do that. And when I make up food, I will make up anywhere from 60 uh, up to about 100 pounds at a time. Wow. So wow. the 100-pound the quantity is if you guys are preparing for a trip, I'm guessing, or something where you'll be away for a while. Yeah. yeah. And all day cooking. The dogs sit on, we have a galley kitchen, so the dogs sit on one on each side of the galley kitchen and just stare. Yeah, I was going to ask, you're, you're fading out a little bit, Catherine, but I was going to ask if the dogs are around, like in the kitchen, while you're making their food and what kind of uh, response that, that generates. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's like she said, we have a galley kitchen. So uh, one and they're not allowed in the kitchen. So one stays on one side of the kitchen. The other stays you know, the other side of the kitchen. They both look as I'm preparing their food, waiting for something. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they could get a little morsel. Well, and, do, and do they get a morsel as part of the process here? Or? No. No. <laughs> wow. No. You guys run a tight ship over there. Yeah, that's good. And Karen, how about, I'm sure it's largely uh, going to be parallel, but is there anything else you'd like to add about the, the process you guys use over there? Yeah, it's definitely on a smaller scale. Uh, very smart to to do 100 pounds. Wow. But I guess I, I just don't have the, uh, the equipment to do that. But um, uh, it's the same kind of thing. Like there's, we have the meat and we have the vegetables. And so there's different, uh, the vegetables are boiling and then the meat's cooking and then we kind of put it all together. Um, we then, uh, so I don't know, but perhaps Kevin can correct me here. Cause I, but we usually let it cool and then we put it in the freezer. So you're saying you put yours right in, eh? Like, like hot. Yeah, because uh, even with, you know, food you prepare for yourself, there is the danger zone. So okay. if it drops down in temperature and it stays within a, a certain temperature for a, a period of time, you grow bacteria. Bacteria okay. is how you, what you call it, uh, you know, you get foodborne illnesses. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, that's, I'm going to make sure we do that from now on. We just kind of, I guess, we've always done you kind of let things cool a bit before you put it away but um we'll definitely switch to that to to make sure we're not adding any risk for sure even if you put it in into the refrigerator i mean depending on the container and thing the size of the container uh to get the heat to release and stuff you may need to you know go into the refrigerator take a spoon and mix it up to release all the heat that's you know in middle trapped in the middle um and and that's a good way too um when you okay. go into food industry when you go into like a food industry and say for instance they make soup or something in the kitchen what they do is they take a bag full of ice and that that big pot of soup goes into the cooler and they drop this big cylinder of ice that, that's you know, closed off and they put it in the middle of the soup. It's to help drop that temperature really quickly to get out of that danger zone. So there's no possibility of any foodborne illness. Okay. So. Thanks for that. It's yeah. That's great to know. Everybody, I think, yeah. learn something here, right? Just on that point. Do you think that just because a dog will go in the garbage and doesn't get sick, <laughs> that it won't get sick? <laughs> yeah. True. And, um, 
Along those lines, Karen, you've talked about obviously what you did with the five strands, um, but e- either one of you, sets of you guys, uh, you know, when you suspected, or maybe you didn't even suspect initially that the, your dog or dogs had allergies, because I got an emailer saying, how can you tell if your dog has allergies? So, Karen, you obviously got to the point where you thought, well, one way to determine that is to contact this five strands company, but you already had to have an inkling. I'm guessing that there were yeah. allergies involved. So well, I, what's, I, the, what's yeah, the initial tip-off uh, that you guys all have experienced where you think, hey, there's, there's allergies here or there may be at least that I should explore? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for us it was just the constant scratching and the fact that he would rub his face into the, like, the carpet. He loved carpet, of course, but floor, anywhere, he'd rub both sides of his face and he was always scratching his ears even though his ears were clean and clear no infection um he was very itchy so um and when i uh went to the vet initially they said um well we can start testing and it was going to be really expensive um i don't know how costs compare in canada to the u.s but it was going to be super pricey and so that's why i went the other route um yeah so that's how i kind of uh, by process of elimination, figured he must have allergies. I thought it would be more allergies to grass or, but, you know, um, he Exter- still scratched exter- in the ex- winter. More like external factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's all, it's all food, all yeah. food related. His environmental allergies were practically nil. Mm. And Catherine and Kevin, did you guys initially sort of recognize, uh, even if you didn't know what, what they were exactly, that there were allergies? I did not. I had no clue. I just didn't know why he constantly had stomach issues. And that's mm. what it was. His stomach could, you could hear him from literally the next room. His stomach would have this high pitch squeak and squeal and it was loud um, and he wouldn't eat. And I just knew he didn't feel good and he would have diarrhea or vomiting. So that's, I just kept ending up at the vets and we kept ending up on you know, on flagell, on the anti-diarrheal, and we were just couldn't figure it out. And that's when the vet is like, this has to be an allergy. We tried everything. And that's when she suggested the blood test for him. Mm. Wow, that sounds like that that was the critical step. Yeah, it's been a huge difference. Yeah, no, it really, really sounds like it. We got another emailer uh, saying, um, what vegetables do they use for their uh, homemade Dog food. So we, so for us, Kevin does the cooking and everything, but we have kind of learned to stay away from um, peas and carrots. Not that they're bad for them. Not carrots. I'm sorry. Peas and corn only because they don't digest them really well and Mm. they're in their poo. (laughs) Yeah. No, no one needs that really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Kevin, you use what? You use carrots? I use, uh, I use broccoli cauliflower, carrots, green beans. Um, and on occasion, if I have some things in the freezer that I haven't used, I might throw some asparagus in there, could have cabbage in there. Um, so it really could be quite a, quite an array of things. It's just, it's not peas, it's not corn, but there's a lot of other things that it could be. Yeah, my thing is the more the merrier because the more variety gives them more opportunity for uh, better nutrition. Yeah, that's great. And Karen, how about you guys? Vegetables that you guys typically use? Uh, 
Um, most often, and this is just um, because he's allergic to a lot of, of things, we had to really search. But um, most often it's uh, carrots, uh, zucchini, sweet potatoes, um, chickpeas. Uh, I can't put green beans because he's allergic to that i don't know mm. why but so mm. so we usually like we have to kind of um we have we have to make sure with our list we've got this list and we just have to change it when we do change it up but we we rely on this base you know because he's not allergic to those like um zucchini and sweet potatoes and carrots and chickpeas okay cool well, it sounds like there's a lot of good variety from, from batch to batch, both proteins mm-hmm. and vegetables from, uh, from each batch that everybody's concocting for, the, for their uh, lucky dogs. So, we'll, uh, we'll also throw in, like, if I know that, you know, I've got, like, yesterday I had strawberries and blueberries that were getting, I had eaten my fill and they were kind of left and I could tell they weren't going to last. So I chopped those up and threw them in their dinner and they loved it. Same thing with the bananas. They love bananas. They love bananas. And hard boiled eggs. We've done the same thing with those. Yep. Wow, that's great because I don't think some people would necessarily think of like, Strawberries, blueberries, whatever, maybe even bananas, like for their dogs, off the top of their head. But that's great. It makes I mean, it makes sense now that you say that. But I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily go that route uh, on their own. So that's good to know. My dog bananas. <laughs> Sorry, you dropped out a little bit there, Catherine. I said my dogs think a banana is better than a cookie. I'll literally peel <laughs> it, and they will bite it in pieces. They think it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> That's awesome. Have they said? Have they said that? Have they actually said, "Hey, I'll take this over a cookie any day. Just give me the banana." Because we are we are on a show called Talking Animals, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. No, I, so. think, I think they said. I think they said, uh, "We'll take both, please." Okay. Yeah. They're no. Yeah. That's good. This is Talking Animals, indeed, on WMF. I'm Duncan Trust. My guests are Karen Allenson, Catherine, and Kevin Selazny, and we're discussing various facets of making homemade dog food. If you'd like to join this conversation, uh, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmf.org, or text 813-439-0885. So let's talk a little bit about um, how the costs uh, compare to... Uh, in the days where there was store-bought food in your households and now with the uh, homemade dog food? Well, I can jump in on that. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> my cost usually runs uh, from about $1.42 a pound to $1.85 a pound. And when you compare that to store-bought, we were just looking in uh, a, a store and we looked at one of the uh, whole food uh, products. I don't remember the name of it. It, it, it was basically, it was almost $12 for 1.7 pounds. So you look at that, it's, that's like $6 and 22 cents a pound versus a dollar 42 that I make. For. Wow. So that's the dried kibble. That was like the, um, I think it's farmer's dog. It could have been like a farmer's dog or something like that. Like- yeah that are like the made ones, you know, the fresh made ones. Yeah. Um, the kibble, I don't remember what. Kibble was quite Yeah, Catherine, you're kind of dropping out again, sorry. 
But um, oh, sorry. I think the kibble we'd spend easily a hundred dollars on a on a large bag. I think it was forty or fifty pounds. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, so the cost comparison is super favorable on top of all the other virtues that we've uh, noted here. Right. So I, I went online last night and I just looked at uh, one website and they were giving a comparison with farmer's dog. And for instance, they were saying like a 30 pound dog, uh, a month supply would be $160 and a 50 pound dog would be a 232 pound. $232. Now, wow. if, if you do that, that's close to $400. That's my two dogs. That would be $400 a month for dog food versus I probably pay, you know, probably cost me about $175 to $180. That's great. And your your dogs then don't have to go out and get a job compared to maybe those others. That's that's good. Yeah. Let's take it. We actually have a caller here. Let's see if we can get them involved in the conversation as well. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Karen Allison, Catherine, and Kevin Selesny. Hey, how how you doing? Um, Good. Making my call. I have a question about how you feel of deer antlers for dogs as a chew bone. Deer deer antlers for dogs as a chew bone? Is that what you said? It wasn't quite clear. Yeah. Okay. Now, the wife got some deer antlers, and they seem like they're made for dogs for chew, instead of chew bones. And uh, I've been just, just wondering what your opinions are on them. All right, you guys can jump in in, in whatever way you'd like, and we're, and we're sort of nearing the end of our time. I should let people know, too. So I'm not a vet by any stretch, um, but I will tell you, my dogs love deer antlers, and they've never had an issue with them. They are, and they last a long time, but they are a very hard bone. My dogs, being Mexican hairless, are supposed to have more more sensitive teeth or more fragile they often do not have a full set. My big girl has, I think, 15 teeth in her head, but she chews deer antlers every day and loves them. Yeah, that's the same thing that I found. And sometimes they, they can do them into little splinters a little bit. And when I notice that on the end, then I, I take that one out of their circulation. Um, but generally, I, I found them to be pretty good. And I just didn't know if there was a downside to it or not. Not that I'm aware of. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you for your call. Yeah. Okay, so everybody, we are just about at the end. I just want to ask one last question. We have maybe a minute, minute and a half to probably address this. But um, it sounds like the implicit uh, conclusion to draw here is that you guys would recommend this for other dog people. But what are some pitfalls or warnings you can offer to help people who might be hearing this and say, hey, you know what, maybe we should try this, um, just so they travel the learning curve a little bit maybe faster or easier than people that, that haven't already had the experiences that you guys have had? Well, for me, uh, the only thing I would say, it's, it's time. It takes time. Yeah. Um, we're retired, so, you know, we have plenty of time. But, you know, it does take quite a bit of time. Is, is it um, hard to make? No, not, not by any means, but it does take an awful lot of time. And that's why I do uh, a bunch of it up ahead of time so I don't have to do it every week. I'd rather spend five or six hours making up food knowing that I don't have to do it again for another three to four weeks. To just be mindful that certain foods are bad for dogs, like garlic and onions. Oh, yes. 
Um, there are certain things, grapes, raisins, those are things that they cannot eat because it can put them in like renal failure. So to just know the, the dangerous foods to not feed them. And when you make it in a smaller batch, as we do, um, we've got it down to about an hour and a half from chopping to completion, but we're not making the quantity that you guys are making. So we do it more frequently. So it's probably once every 10 days um, that we're, we do that or once a week, depending. We do try to get ahead sometimes if we are going to travel. Um, but it's part of our routine. But, you know, just uh, dis fair disclosure, we, we are both retired as well. Um, but I think it's something that can easily fit into um, a routine um, if you're, you know, if you allocate time for it. And it sounds like really given the virtues of it, it's it's well worth trying to carve out that time, even if you have a busier schedule, maybe then you guys might have to juggle. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, well, cool. Well, this has been really great. I think it's been really illuminating based on the emails and other responses that we've gotten. So thank you very much. We've been speaking with Karen Allenson, Catherine Selazny, and Kevin Selazny. And uh, thank you so guys all so much for your time and the information. I think it's been really helpful. And like I say, I think illuminating for all kinds of folks, including me. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. In a moment, I'll talk with Dr. Sandu, a veterinarian at Companion Pet Hospital in Sonoda, Sasa. This Saturday, September 16th at 1 p.m., Companion Pet Hospital is offering a special low-cost pet shot clinic. We'll hear the details of, the of that clinic when Dr. Sandu joins us in just a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner. I thought all things considered we should do something food-related. So here's Kevin Nealon, while well, a guest on Conan, with a piece called Salmon in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Sharp. You look good. You look like you're taking care of business. I am taking care of business. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. My father used to say that a lot. He, I get dressed. He goes, "You're looking really smart. That's a smart shirt." Yeah. You know, you're looking really smart. But, you are, but also, you look like uh, you look healthy. You look like you're taking care of yourself. Thank you for that nice compliment. Because yeah. uh, compliments from you are very rare, and I will take that one. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think I'm uh, quite generous with a compliment. But uh, yeah, I do well, think you're let looking. Let me. Um, oh. Let me just. Um, okay. <laughs> Because I don't believe any of that, but right. let me just um, uh, address what you had said yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a vegetarian, You're mostly. Yeah. On occasion, I will have fish. On occasion, yeah. But I'm one of those people that's got to be a specific fish. It's got to be salmon. Mm -hmm. Right. It has to be wild salmon. Wild mm. salmon. And it has to be caught in the big river in Montana. <laughs> and it has to be bear caught. A bear has to catch it what I said. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be bear caught and in his mouth, not with a fishing pole. <laughs> That's just dumb. That's just dumb. And then, <laughs> wait, let me finish. Oh. oh, there's more. It's, I call it bear to table fish. All right. Very nice. I um, like that you're looking after yourself, though. I, I care you know, about you. You're and a friend I, of mine. I care about you, too. And by the way, you're looking fantastic. Okay. I'm glad. This is your crowd tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Um. That was Kevin Nealon in today's Comedy Corner from an appearance on Conan O'Brien's show doing a piece called Salmon. Now it's time to speak with Dr. Sandy about the special low-cost pet shot clinic happening at Companion Pet Hospital in Sonoda Sansa this Saturday, September 16th. So to fill us in, let's welcome Dr. Sandu to Talking Animals on WNR. Good morning, Dr. Sandu. 
Good morning to you, sir. Thank you for joining us on Talking Animals. My pleasure. So let's start with a brief overview of Companion Pet Hospital. What should we know about the practice? Well, this practice is almost over 40 years old. It was started by Dr. Duke, and then I took over. He retired. I took over in 2017, September. So, in fact, this month, it's going to be six years since I have taken over this practice. Happy anniversary. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I see dogs and cats over here every day, and that is what, you know, kind of my specialization, you know? Yeah. And, and, and what's the impetus for offering the low-cost shock clinic? Well, over the course of years, you know, I realized, especially, especially you know, during the COVID time, that a lot of people lost their source of income, and then there are a lot of people who are having limited income or no income, and still they love their pets, but they don't have the resources to pay 50 to $60 as an office call per pet just to see a licensed veterinarian in order to get a $25 rabies vaccine. So I chose to start these low-cost vaccines, uh, vaccination clinics. What I do, I go to different cities, one hour in one city and then one hour in another city, and one hour, you know, over here at our regular hospital also once a month. That gave the opportunity to the community to, to come over, see a licensed veterinarian, ask any question, get the vaccines, same vaccines which we use at the regular hospital, yeah. at the cost of vaccines. So it's a big help to them. $25 rabies does not become $75 if they can come over to my short clinic and don't mind waiting 10-15 minutes in the line, no appointment required. And that was the reason I started it, and it has been six, seven years, I will say. And I have not looked back. Almost 10 years, I will say. No, that sounds great. So uh, I might have missed this, but what, what, what are the, the different kinds of shots that are available in the shot clinic? So these, these shot clinics, you know, we carry the, the vaccines for dogs and cats, like rabies, which is required by law, and then parvo, and then distemper, and then we have bodetella, which is also called kennel cough. Then we have FVRCP and leukemia vaccine for the cats. The, the main thing is, by law, you are supposed to have rabies, and there are a lot of pets. Parents want to spend $25 for the rabies, but they don't have the means to pay another $50 or $60 just to get that $25 shot. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing we offer. Second thing is heartworm screening. We do that, you know, on the spot. Within 10 minutes, you have the result. No office call, no exam fee, just the cost of the test. Sounds like a great uh, deal and a great public service that you're, uh, that you're performing, Dr. Sandhya. You know, taking it. They are, my staff is very supporting of me. I'm blessed to have great team. And they love to help me, go out with me, and we enjoy it. I mean, we even sell preventions for the fleas and heartworms right on the spot. You don't have to wait or you don't have to go to any pharmacy at a very competitive price. That's very good. Well, let's let people know um, the Companion Pet Hospital is at 11499 US 301 in Thanota Sasa. And the website to find out more about this or other details that may be of interest is companionpethospital.org.
Right, sir. All right, Dr. Sandy. Well, thank you so much for making the time to join us today on Talking Animals, and thank you for the, uh, the shock clinic and other ones you've done over the years. My pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman. After that, we shift back to music programming with Jim Bannon holding forth from 1 to 3, followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6. Then our terrific Wednesday night block of Latin music kicks back in. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, it's the prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. kind of more the subtitle that's the animal song i guess in all fairness but it's close enough and it's bowie so what the heck anyways we'll take any guesses that do come in off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of talking animals on wmnf i'll return next wednesday with another edition of the show meanwhile please support us with an early donation of any amount in the talking animals tip jar again found on wmf.org under the talking animals page of the programming schedule any couple of bucks or so you could tuck in there would be a huge help get us a running start on our fun drive goal so, meanwhile, you visit TalkAnimals.net for audio archives and podcasts and uh, links to our social media pages and all kinds of things. And eventually, I don't want to spill too many beans, but there might be a spiffy brand new ver- version of that down the road that I'll be blabbing about as soon as it's uh, ready. So, uh, I'm giddy with anticipation. Sorry, I assume you are probably too. Anyway, that's it for today. Um, again, Spice Life comes up next. After WMF uh, NPR news headlines, and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Talk Animals on WMF Tampa. Thanks so much.